I, I want to open this with kind of a, a addressing something. I, I'm not a real fan of making big, big to-dos out of, out of some things that don't need to be, but uh, because it was getting ready to be on Facebook anyway, um, yes, I had a little medical emergency on Friday, and I'm okay. And uh, I've gotten lots of counsel from family members and others uh, about pushing myself. So I want to talk about that just for a minute, and I don't want to make a big to-do of it. But uh, I, I hear the heart and concern uh, from folks about, about uh, what happened. But there's a little bit of medical history there. And, um, and yes, I know that you can overexert yourself as a 110-degree index that day. And, but we, we had some things that had to be done. Um, and, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but uh, we all understand I'm general contractor on this as well. We did that to save money. It's not the preferable way. Um, there's guys that are professionals that could do this better than I'm doing it. But um, that's what we're doing, and that's what we committed to, to build this for half price. And I, I'm a believer that God will help me to fulfill my commitment. And so uh, I can guarantee you that I am not trying to push to prove any point or push myself harder than I need to. But there's a certain amount of things. You know, if, uh, if there's painters there and they need paint, I've got to get paint for them. If, if I, I leave in the drywallers, you know, we had one day where... Nathan and I were trying to set 200 feet of forms for sidewalks and we had concrete ordered for the next morning and there's a timeline and the drywallers said hey we can't keep working because the hangers put all the scrap you know on the walls and we had to move that scrap several times and you know got pulled away there's just a certain amount of it is what I'm saying that is unavoidable and it's not that I'm trying to be unwise and so I have lots of family in the area some are missing from service and you know I'm getting lots of counsel but I want you to know I do trust God it's not my church, it's, it's God's church, and I trust him for the strength. Uh, but uh, because of some medical things I've got, sometimes I don't know when I'm about to push too far, and uh, it's just too long to go into. But I, I've been conditioned since a kid because of a muscle disease that I go and I think I'm fine, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm not. So um, I'll be okay, and I appreciate it. Honestly, when I got woke up, I felt like I was uh, being rudely awakened from a good sleep. <laughs> I, that was probably some of the best rest I've gotten in a while, but uh, I went face down in the mud, and the, probably the worst part of it was getting a mouthful of that moldy hay we bought for the grass and couldn't get that taste out of my mouth for the whole day. Um, and, and then I had some severe cramps, and that's why I ended up at the ER. But anyway, just to put that to rest, no, I do know what it is to trust God. I don't believe that it is me that is building this church. We have all played our parts. We've all been hard working um, i'm looking at jonathan jonathan's put in lots of hours a lot of you have uh, you know i can't just name everybody at, at this moment i miss somebody i'm just telling you we're going to get it done god's going to help us and i appreciate the concern but just just know i can always receive wise, wise counsel i have an advisory team i have mentors i have you and uh, i receive it well when you say that say say the things you do to encourage me um, but just know it's not a matter of me not trusting god and feeling like i pushed too hard I really do know that we are under the wire to get it done. Um, we are past that year. And so with that, I'll say thank you for your prayers and your support and any help. we got painting to do. And so with that, I want to introduce um, uh, the, the Freemans and Lana. Is that correct? Okay. So I know Steve because I kept getting Steve's name, but um, they keep getting talked about quite a, in, in good terms from everybody that knew they're coming. So all the RVers have a big respect for them, and I'm uh, happy that they're here. And they may not know that, but I just can oh, you're going to be blessed when the Freemans get there. You're going to be blessed. When, so we're happy to have them here. And I was talking to Sister Lana yesterday as a, a welcome here as they got in. 
and come to find out her heartbeat has been just in line with a big part of our ministry here, and that's been with foster care and uh, uh, adoption and, and loving those children who, for whatever reason, are separated from their, their uh, biological parents. So I'm thankful to have them here and so I just uh, challenge you we do have a certain way we welcome folks and the only reason we're not doing it this morning is because we're down a lot of kids and we involve the kids in it so come prepared next service I'm not sure how long y'all be here but come if Wednesday night or Sunday when we have uh, everyone here uh, we do want to welcome you in the customary way that we do um, so uh, very very happy to see you guys and Mike and Gina it's good to see uh, you folks uh, here today my brain's been so foggy. Uh, I've talked to these folks and everything come in, and I was just for a moment had that brain lapse. You hate that when you have them. You know people's names, and just for a second, so I apologize. But they, good to see y'all. And they mentioned going by and seeing the progress and, and encouraging words about that. So anyway, we're we're moving down the road. There's lots of painting to be done. Uh, we don't have the stuff for landscaping yet, and partially as we're focused on the grass and just getting that growing. Uh, we will get there, but plenty of painting to do. All right. Um, well, I want to get into today's message. Uh, I have a short time to cover the first half. You know, it, it's funny that uh, I never would make any jokes about any kind of medical condition, so please understand. I've talked about, sometimes with Christians, I feel like bipolar. And I don't mean that to, to make light of a, a medical condition, a true medical condition. But um, kind of like what Paul said, sometimes I can't seem to do the things I should do, and I do things I shouldn't. And you, this whole dichotomy we have where where we, we're striving to have this even kill life, right? We want to just be smooth as can be and glide through everything in life. The high times, the low times, we're just, you know, we're solid. But the truth is that we live this roller coaster life. We have these highs and lows. We, we can't ever seem to just get on that um, plane of just everything being just right. And I remember as a pastor's son attending many weddings, and you'd see these beautiful weddings and all the joy and the preparation and the happiness. And sometimes the in-laws were the stressed, most stressed-looking people there. But, you know, there's, there's all the, the stuff going on, and you see this happiness. As a pastor's kid, it would amaze me sometimes that very shortly after, you'd see that they're coming for counseling, right? What happened to all this bliss, all this excitement? And, and now it seems that everything's on a downward slope. And as a single man, I had all these envisions of, you know, the marriage and the kids and everything, this picture of perfect life, right? And, and, you know, I meet Jen and she is just perfect for me. Everything's great. And, and we are just blissful. In fact, I think we had a longer, that honeymoon time they talk about where you don't fight and argue. I think we went longer. We worked at the same place. We took breaks together. We rode to work and back from home together every waking moment together. And at least from my side, I never got tired of it. I don't think she did. We seemed to be having fun. And, and other married people in the place would say, don't you guys get tired of being together all the time? They'd see this, everything. This is before Facebook, you know, when we started out uh, almost 14 years ago. And so um, this, this is just, you know, but when I came, I was married at almost 30, right? And I had been on my own for a while. And I was very OCD and meticulous about things. And I had these nice pots and pans, Teflon pans, I cook for myself, I cook for other people, and they still looked, after years, they looked like the day I bought them. And I bought them used, but they were in great condition. Somebody else with OCD owned them before me, apparently. So, I mean, they're perfect. And the first time I see this lady I love that just feels like she's perfect, and she's got a metal fork in that Teflon pan, stirring something, I'm like, what are you doing? 
How, why are you using metal and Teflon? Everybody knows you don't do that. It'd be scratched. And I mean, those were in the trash within a year, right? And my perfect world comes crashing down, <laughs> right? All this bliss, all this stuff I thought. And you know, it's very little things like that that sometimes end up people in marriage counseling. Um, you know, I get calls pretty often about people saying, hey, I'm looking for, a, you know, now in church, I, I trust the Holy Spirit to help me counsel people. I don't sign up for or try to do marriage counseling, premarital counseling, but, but, you know, we're blessed with people who train now with scripture in mind to be able to minister to people who are certified. And so we get calls. Do you know a good Christian certified counselor? And, and, and uh, so there's, there's plenty of this strife, but, but our lives are filled with many emotions and diverse experiences. Some are easy, some are hard, some mundane. The Bible shows us that life is just this way. Now, I want to speak to something that we've had a big focus on a spiritual awakening. And I've talked to you uh, at multi-generations in this room and in all of our services. And even though we're a little light, some people are gone today, you know, we still have a diverse group of ages and experiences. Some of us grew up in church or maybe experienced great revivals. And that word revival to some of the younger folks, they may understand a little bit from Google of what that means, but they may not have been in a revival. And, you know, revival is reviving something that was once dead to life, right? And so some people don't need a revival, and they need a spiritual awakening. And we've talked about this, but when, when we do that, it conjures up in the mind all these things of this awesome service that just goes for weeks, and people don't go to their jobs, and the city offices close, and everything. some great true revivals where that happened. And so we just think that is where things should always be. Our goal is to get there and remain there, and it never change, Right? But I'm going to challenge you something today, and God's been showing me this because I believe, I believe for that, I believe for the spiritual awakening. But my expectations on where that leads and what happens after that may not be scriptural because of church culture and because of false expectations. It's like the people that will say, my church will never hurt you like the other church did. Oh, really? If you have that much control over everybody in your church, then you need to teach some pastors because we have no control over anybody. <laughs> you know? But... Here's the thing. You read through scripture and you tell me where you find the sustained, incredible worship experience that just never ends. Where do you find it? Heaven. You find it here? No. Does it mean we quit striving to be in that presence? No. What we're going to talk about today is this roller coaster life where, where the problem is, is that we have this idea like we're trying to head there so that we stay there. And the problem is, is our dreams get dashed when things change. And it's like the Brownsville Revival where they went into almost financial trouble afterwards. And so we want to negate the whole experience because of the fact that things changed. But we're going to see from God's word that that's actually very much scriptural how things happen. It's just God prepares you on the mountaintops for the valleys. And so one of the things I love about the Bible is that if I've got this wrong idea about how my life should be all this fairy tale perfect, I just read the scripture and I start seeing, no, there's plenty of examples where that's not the case. Stories of people enduring devastating lows, but incredible highs. If the stories in the Bible were only about the good times, how would you uh, find strength for the bad times? If the Bible talked of bad times only, where would we be? Where would we find the faith or the belief for the good times? So this Bible is this book of contrast with lessons at every stage of the journey of life. And so today, as we look at this story found in Mark chapter nine, the ninth chapter of Mark, that's where we're going to find our basis for lessons from the mountaintops. 
and the valleys. So the title for today is Lessons from a Roller Coaster Life. My kids and I and my wife, we finally got season passes for Silver Dollar City after the three years of not being there. And, and the newest, greatest ride was the Time Traveler because it like turns. It's supposed to be the fastest, greatest thing, I guess, in the United States now. And so that's what they're bragging about and the brochures and the advertisements and uh, all that. And so the boys, we wait two hours to go on the first time. I mean, it was just two hours of my life I can't get back waiting for a five-minute ride, you know. And I get on, and it twists and turns and all that. I'm like, okay, that's great. But two hours, really, for this? I mean, it was exciting. And see, that's supposed to be the latest, greatest thing. Well, when we went on one that they started building back three years ago, it was new three years ago when we had season passes called the Outlaw Run. And I got on that thing, and I was in tears when we were done because I had keys jabbing my leg from the, and things looking like they're going to decapitate you because you're going so fast past stuff that looks lower than what it is. And I just, I got done. I said, that's the last time I'm riding that thing. And I said that the next three times too. It's the last time I'm riding that thing. But, you know, we fool ourselves into thinking we're looking for this great level experience in life and that we don't want the highs and we don't want the lows we just want to have everything just be just right but the truth is they would sell no tickets for that or no passes for that if that's really how it were can you imagine a roller coaster you get on and it's just like you just curve around and it's about the scenery and oh look at those birds and you're just nice medium pace no ups and downs no they design those things so when you're doing those nice things you don't expect the big drop or the whip around and and so we are in our sinful nature, we are in our sinful nature actually addicted to the highs and lows. A lot of people like to say, I'm a low drama person. If you have to state it, it may not be true, right? If you have to make that a statement all the time, it may not be true. We're always trying to prove to people what we're not. But it is, this, this life is like a roller coaster, and probably the biggest thrill a follower of Jesus could have we get to see with three disciples at the top of a, a mountain in this story. And, and it doesn't just stay there. See, the top of the mountain is part of this thrill ride that we see, but that's also what happens in the valley. Let me read to you Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 27. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 27. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up high on a mountain apart from apart by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow such as no launder on earth can whiten them oxyclean couldn't have touched him and that's about the only kind of laundering i know jen does a lot of it and i could spray the oxyclean but Elijah appeared, verse 4, Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say for they were greatly afraid. And that's another indicative of Christians when they're experiencing God, right? I don't really not know what to do, but I know I'm supposed to do something. So let me just do a memorial to this whole thing, right? Let me erect some memorial, do something to, to try to house this or try to bottle it, right? Uh, we had this great revival. Let's write a book about it because we've got to somehow capture this and, and distribute, right? Or make it, make it obtainable again. Make sure there's something to keep it there. So let's make these, these uh, three tabernacles for these, these uh, two that appear, Elijah and Moses, and for Jesus who is there with them. 
Verse 7, and a cloud came over and came and overshadowed them and a voice out from the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. I don't have Charlton Heston's gift of voice, so just have to bear with me. This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Awesome experience. I got to see Elijah and I got to see Moses and this big, bright, shining Light coming off Jesus. Jesus has changed in front of me. Poof. It's done. What's the point though? Verse 7. This is my beloved son. What? Hear him. What's the point when you're on the mountaintop and that experience what God's trying to drive? He's trying to drive your attention to listen to him. Not to be so much about I got to be doing something right now to capture this and and. It, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm caught up in it too, generation. But what happens when something cool happens around you? What's everybody's arm do? Right? And hits record or catches a photo. Right now, one of the biggest driving things for selling cell phones is a camera and its capabilities and the memory storage because of the thousands and thousands of videos and photos we save. It's, it's this thing that says, you know what? This may not happen again. I got to capture this so I can keep reliving it. Verse 8, suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Verse 9, now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And we could go into a lot of reasons why that would be, but I think one of the obvious ones is, is who's going to believe you, for one, until this whole thing's fulfilled. And then they can maybe put the puzzle pieces together and think, okay, maybe he, he really was the Son of God. And so verse 10, so they kept this, this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And then they asked him, saying, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is, and how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Verse 13, but I say to you that Elijah has also come and that he did to him whatever they wished as it is written of him. So they have, and we have these mountaintop experiences in our Christian walk, amazing moments. When we experience the glory of God and feel so close to him, these moments are priceless, and you sense and feel God in such a powerful way. And you've, many of you have heard my story so many times about how I didn't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a Pentecostal preacher's son, but at church camp, challenging God at an altar that I want to either know you're real or I need to leave here and get on with a normal life I don't want to be brainwashed. If you're real, show yourself to me, even if you have to kill me. And then my eyes wake up, kind of like the other day, except there wasn't all these EMTs standing around then, you know, but this glaring light in my face and kind of coming out of the cloud and hearing this uh, heavenly um, language coming out of my mouth and feeling the peace of God and breathing clean air is like I've been all of a sudden transported into this place. And all this, and I had this powerful experience. And that was at age 14. And can I... I don't want to even tell you how many times I ran from God and what I did after that. Had an awesome time where God used that, but then we still can fail. Here's the thing. I want us in these moments to, to look at these moments and learn something from this roller coaster life, from these mountaintop experiences. So the lessons from the mountaintop are, number one, mountaintop experiences don't last forever. I'm not saying that as a downer. I'm not trying to down your faith that God is going to keep showing up in mighty ways in your life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying is your expectation is of God is not that he ever leaves you nor forsakes you. He doesn't. But as far as that big high we get from the big mountaintop experiences, they don't last forever. 
On the mountaintop, there's no long walks down hot, dusty roads. And on the mountaintop, there, there's, there's no critics. And on the mountaintop, life was easy. So Peter, of course, wanted to stay on the mountaintop. Who could blame him? Who could blame him about staying on the mountaintop? I mean, you don't have to deal with all those critics, all those people. You know, we have to be very careful, though, about wanting to stay on the mountaintop experience. Because with the sinful nature, we can become kind of prideful and too good for everyone else who has the valley experiences. And you know, one thing folks that come here often know, I don't get into talking about other ministers or down, but you know, my heart was broken to see what one of the focuses lately on a, a well-known minister who's wanting a new jet. And that was bad enough, but it wasn't that that bothered me. It was when two of them that had the same thing got together talking on TV to all their congregants and everybody else to listen and non-believers and had a conversation about the reason they need it so bad is because you can't do ministry on a commercial plane. People would be wanting to come up and ask you to pray for them. And then with all the drugs and stuff in the world and all the demons, there's too many demons on the plane. It's just a full of demons and it, it really just tears at your spirit. And I thought, man, I, I can't, am I hearing what I think I'm hearing? I mean, how can you say I'm a messenger of, of, of Jesus and I want to emulate Jesus but yet I, I get to a place where I can't be bothered by the people in the valleys. You understand, I've got to stay on the mountaintop. Verse 9 says, as they were coming down from the mountain, see, Jesus knew there's still work to be done. And that's the point. The reason we can't stay on the mountaintop is because there are people in the valleys that need to be rescued. God, Jesus knew he had to come down. This incredible moment was over and Jesus led them back down the mountain into the world. And wait, wouldn't this be a great time to just be taken up in the clouds, right? God can do that. We're up here already. I mean, there's not much distance. It's not like you have to do a mighty work to get me there. I'm already in the mountain. Jesus transfigured. You can obviously do some of that. And Moses and Elijah, just boom, take us with you. I mean, that's the goal, right? We're all heading to heaven and, and eternity, eternal presence. But Jesus says, boom, it's gone. Now we go back down. To the valley. Sometimes as Christians, we are the same way. Wouldn't life easier be easier if we just built some houses on a mountaintop somewhere away from everybody else who were opposers? You know, ISIS and all the atheists and all the haters and all that. What if we just got some property somewhere that would house all the Christians and we just moved and got away? And we're up there and we could just sing praises all the time. We have this glorious time. What does that sound like to you? cult see that's what that's what how cults begins because now we've got to protect ourselves from anyone who would oppose us and that's not what jesus was doing jesus was like let's go to those who oppose us and let's give them the truth and then they have to make the decision see christian life is not designed to be lived in isolation in fact, you know, a lot of people who are on the verge of, of Christianity and they'll say, you know, they maybe believe there's a God, but hey, well, that's a private thing. That's between me and God. No, our relationship with God was never meant to be private. It was meant to be personal, but not private. Now, on the mountain topic, are, are the mountaintop experiences bad? No. Do I want a spiritual awakening? Yes. Do, do I worry about if, if the Holy Spirit moves on me and I'm 200 and... Well, now I know I lost some weight. I'm 245 pounds. I used to have to say 260. But 245 pounds, and I'm running around here, 
having to dodge people because the Holy Spirit got hold of me? No. But at the same time, the, the purpose in that is not so that I have the freedom to run around in here and, and worship the Lord only. It has to have a reaction that sends me out into the valleys to reach those who don't have access to the power of God because their lives and their choices and things around them have separated them from God. We're to be taking his presence out of here with us. The second lesson from mountaintop experience is this. They are for strength and encouragement. They're for strength and encouragement. And what good is strength if it's not to do the work? And so, do you know what Jesus talks about to his disciples on the way down the mountain? Now see, this is, if you didn't really know all of Scripture, know the character and nature of God, if you aren't, you know, even to that point, you're just reading this as an outsider, maybe the first time you heard it, you'd be like, Jesus doesn't sound like that good friend you want because you know what he's talking about? He's talking about death. They have this great experience. He's talking about death and rejection and suffering. You ever known that person? You're at some celebration. There's that family member that's like gloom, doom, and despair. They got the little black cloud around them, lightning bolt striking them all day long. And, and you're having this great time, and they just want to talk about all their troubles. I'm like, come on, I know you got troubles. Can we do this another time? I'm trying to enjoy this here. And they got you to the side, and you're just like, you're looking at the party going on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, I'm the bad one. I'm the only one here that ever felt that way. I, I'm just having, trying to have a party, and everybody else has got troubles, and I'm un, uncaring. No, I mean, Jesus is taking that mountaintop experience, and on the way down, he's talking about all the rejection and the suffering and all. Jesus emerged from the experience determined to take the journey that would ultimately lead him to the cross of Calvary. And that's what we have to understand about mountaintop experiences. When we ask God to, do a, to bring a revival or a spiritual awakening, we've got to understand what we're really asking for is not just the fuzzy doodads up our back in a service and not just being able to go brag to other church, churches and say, hey, you should have seen what happened to our church. You know, it's not that stuff. It's the fact that you're getting ready to probably go through something you need that strength for. And you've got to be strong because many people, it's just like I've talked about. That's why at funerals, you have a lot of unchurched people who come to church for about three weeks after their funeral of their grandmother or someone who is saved. Because of guilt and shame and all this stuff that they know how they should be living. They're not and they come for a while. And they come and they feel better. It's ministered to them because they've got that off their chest. They've come now. But then it fades, right? And they go on. And it's also the Christian who says, I'm a Christian, who they come to church, they sit in the pews, and they say, yes, I read the word when they know they really don't. Yes, I pray and spend time with the Lord every day when they know they don't. And then all of a sudden, when some big tragedy happens in their life, they disappear for a while because they've got it mixed up. They think that, they think that now God's failed me. God's failed me because I'm going through this trial. They don't realize God never said you're going to avoid the trials. He said, I'll give you the strength to make through the trials. And here's how you get that strength. You stay connected with a source. And the source is when things are going well on your mountaintop, you listen clearly to what Jesus has to say so that when you get in the valley and the fog is on and you can't see nothing and, and you feel lost, then you remember those words. It, it, I don't want to... I feel like I beat a dead horse sometimes, but it's the example, the best example I have in my life is pastoring this church when, when everything was going good. Things that Pastor Jim spoke to me before he passed. When Pastor Roger came and I finally we were healing and things he spoke to me. 
Things were very clear then because God was interacting in such a real way. I heard his voice clearly, just not audibly, but so clearly. could never deny it. And we just know. But then all of a sudden I start pastoring. Now the weight's on me and they're gone. I don't have pastors anymore. He's passed. Pastor Rogers in Indiana. And I could call him once in a while. But when I'm dealing with really uh, any church issue that's just weighing on me. And a lot of pastors, they say, you know, resign on Mondays. They get excited by Friday to preach Sunday. But then they resign on Monday, right? In their hearts. And I was experiencing that. God, you've got the wrong guy. I know what Sister Lynn said about the prophecy 10 years ago about our church. I know what Pastor Roger said about God spoke to them at the funeral for Pastor Jim, that we are to be a pastors. I know we rejected it first. I know how you proved it. But I think that might have all been somehow mixed up in my head because this doesn't feel so right. This is not what I thought. As a pastor's son, I knew my dad dealt with hard stuff, but this is not right. And it's not just pastoring it's in your life as a Christian. Hey, God, I thought that I was supposed to be able to go, go to work and share the gospel, and it seems like they're impacting me more than I'm impacting them. They're wearing on me more than I'm making a positive difference with them. But it's to strengthen us. The third lesson, mountaintop experiences are to prepare us for our mission. And that's what you have to keep straight when things get hard and you feel like, it's going backwards because you're sharing the gospel or you're sharing your faith and it just seems like rejection and rejection and rejection. Remember that God didn't expect you to go to the cross to offer grace for salvation because you couldn't do it. He expected you to take what Jesus did on the cross and to go out and to make disciples. And that's the clear mission. And so it's to strengthen us for the mission that's ahead of us, to prepare us for our mission. That's why we have mountaintop experiences, those moments of incredible glory and wonder. We need the mountaintop experiences now and then because they recharge us. They get us ready to go back into the world to accomplish our assignment, just like the mountaintop did for Jesus. You know, I'm always pretty transparent with you, but I woke up and I was struggling with a little bit of attitude this morning. Okay, a lot of attitude. And so, you know, and next thing you know, I was short with my wife and I said, whoa, wait a minute, we're, we're getting ready to go and this is, game day we're going in for the charge up to make it through next week i can't start off going into game day you know with with already and i had to apologize I said honey forgive me i don't just and then we make the excuses i'm tired you know this this she knows she she sees everything going on but but listen monday is not going to be any easier than friday or thursday the sundays and wednesday nights whether we had church on sunday and wednesday nights or we had it on thursdays and tuesdays the idea is that when we come to meet together, when the Holy Spirit charges us up in worship and we experience like we did, you know, both uh, Pastor Ken and, and Pastor Belinda, when they lead worship and we have this awesome experience, it's not just for us to walk out and say, wow, what a good service. Guess what? Monday, somebody's going to be working on you, whether it's in traffic and you want to teach them a lesson with the right hand of fellowship, you know, with something. But, but God is preparing you because every single person you encounter from the time you leave here is part of your mission field. And it's in that strength that we move forward to face our mission, to be salt and light, to be representatives of Jesus in a sinful world. Verse 14, And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. They walked down the mountaintop to what? Jesus talked to them about death and all this stuff and and it sounds negative, and they walk in, and, and now some of the Christians are down there arguing loudly, pretty intense. Verse 15, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, 
greeted him, and he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? So Jesus and his three disciples, they, they, it's welcome back to the real world, no chance to rest. The church people are fighting over something. They don't get to relax and enjoy the memories. As soon as they get to the bottom of the mountain, they face a problem, and religious experts are questioning the disciples, and it's an intense, heated argument. And, you know, that, that's like, uh, there's been times I've been spending time in prayer and everything, and then all of a sudden I get a phone call about something, and it's just like, really, God? Why now? Why don't you let me just enjoy this moment for you for a little bit? But Jesus asked what they're arguing about, and neither disciples or the teachers answer the question. They're too into it. They're too heated. Instead, a man in the crowd speaks up, and there's always that guy, right? There's always that person. They're like, kind of like, I don't want to be a part of this, but they're there for the entertainment. You know, it's like the argument starts and they get the popcorn out. And so this guy, you know, it's Jesus is saying, what, what's, you know, what's going on here? And these guys, you know, the, the disciples and the scribes, they're arguing, arguing. And so this guy speaks up and tells Jesus. The, the, then in verse 17, the one, one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who was a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples and that they should cast it out, but they could not. So while Jesus is on the mountain, the disciples had attempted to cast the demon out of this boy and failed. They failed. And as a result, the teachers were giving the disciples a hard time. And this is an image here where we struggle sometimes as a church in, in the United States especially. you got all this stuff happening, all this hurt and devastation and the enemy kicking people's tail and the church seems to have time to disagree about how to go about ministering to them. And the scribes, hey, we, we know what's written. Why can't you guys just do what's written? I mean, it's easy. Just, you know, it's written, you know. And, and, and the disciples are like, I don't know, we tried to do what Jesus did. It didn't work. And so they're arguing while this man, who is the one, he wasn't eating popcorn, by the way. We find out it's his son. He's, he's in the valley, the worst valley that anyone could be in. His son has been ravaged by this demon since he was young. And all the religious people can do is argue about why it didn't work. And so, I detest times I fail. And it's real easy to get caught up in the whys of why we fail or the excuses or, or, or whatever. But I hate that. I'm driven to succeed. I feel that the Lord is always watching. I know he is, and I want to please him, and I drive it. And sometimes, even unhealthily, I'll drive too hard. But I hate when I fail, and I'm sure that the reason this was so intense is because every one of them are wanting to serve God to their best. And when they can't do what they think they should be able to do with God's power, they go at each other. But none of it is solving the issue. The scribes may have been arguing about demon casting out methods or whether it could even be done. Meanwhile, the boy who was the reason for the argument lay helpless on the ground and forgotten. But Jesus responds to the argument with a rebuke. Verse 19, he answered, them, answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? In other words, you've got to listen and follow because I'm not going to be here holding your hand every moment. You've got to be one of the doers. 
And, and I'm trying to set the example. And Jesus is rebuking the teachers as well as his disciples. And he's come out from this meeting with Elijah and Moses. And the glory of God was there. And now his disciples aren't spiritually mature enough to drive out this demon. There seems to be some frustration in his voice. And then we get to verse 19b. Bring him to me. Verse 20. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. This is a horrible sight. As soon as the spirit that possessed the boy saw Jesus, it went nuts. And I, I, but I love Jesus' reaction. He doesn't acknowledge the spirit. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't tell the crowd to restrain the boy. And, and you know, listen, if we jumbled up timelines and stories in the Bible for a moment, you know, and we just put it in modern day times, you know, these scribes could be saying, I mean, the disciples should know, you've got to get them to say their name. There's a whole story about, you know, Legion, we are many, and he talks to them, you know, and that's, that's part of casting them out. So that's what you got to do. And that's why it's not happening. And, and, you know, that may sound silly, that example, but many times we get caught up in those arguments with other Christians. Not exactly like that, but why aren't we experiencing revival in the U.S.? And we'll have all these great answers and all this stuff. We'll have all these wise words, you know, as if we really, really know. When the truth is, I like what Mark Bastian said in his book, Circle Maker. You know what, what you need for the power of God? You need to draw a circle around yourself and don't walk out of that circle until revival has happened. It's within each of us. The responsibility to experience God and have the power of God is within each of us. We can't be pointing the finger at this person or that person. Well, that, that church, that's why things aren't happening. You know, we've got the focus everywhere else, but, but where it needs to be, and that's on ourselves and experiencing God, not just for the experience of the mountaintop, but to carry it to the valleys. Jesus, it's obvious to me that Jesus knows that he is in control of the situation. He just turns to the boy's father and asks this question, verse 21. So he asked his father, how long has it, this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And verse 23, I mean 22, and often he has thrown him into both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. He's throwing him into fire. This demon is throwing him into fire and throwing him into the water, trying to drown him or burn him. So likely there's visible scars of this battle on this boy. But from this incredible mountaintop experience with Moses and Elijah and Jesus, we now move to an overwhelming low, a valley. This man knows nothing of the transfiguration. Here's, here's something interesting. This dad, he wasn't up on the mountaintop. He has no idea about what all that means or what that's about. He's been dealing with his son since, for all this time and just hoping someone has the answer. And he looks to Jesus for the answer and the disciples and everybody's arguing. Next week we're going to get lessons from the valley. We're going to move to the valley and stay there to get some lessons from that. But the thing I want you to leave with today is this. If we spent the energy we do trying to prove all the people wrong using Scripture as a weapon about why we're right and they're wrong, if we put all that energy into experiencing God, not just for our own benefit, but to win others for Christ, to complete the mission, to have strength for the mission, if we put that kind of energy, the church worldwide would see an encounter with God widespread like they'd never seen before. But what we've done is the devil has set this stage for division among all people, not just the church. We've seen it. And I know we want to think because of a presidential change now that's all changed. No, there's a lull before the next storm. It's there. 
It's not really even ever gone away. It's just we get lulled to sleep during those times thinking, okay, now we're safe, everything's fine. But what we need to realize is if God gives you a mountaintop experience, then get ready because he's preparing you for the valleys. And that's the same message for us as every unbeliever that we bring the message to is I wish I could tell you that there's a perfect church. I wish I could tell you when you follow Jesus, all your problems go away. All I'm going to tell you is that if you want strength to endure and you want to be victorious and in the end, as you're passing through this messed up world, that one day God will remake this world. It'll be a new heaven, new earth, and you can find out for once and for all what God really meant this all to be before Satan got a hold. And that's the goal. Not to avoid the valleys because they're going to be there. He never promised that but the strength, the preparation, the power for the mission that we carry out through every valley. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day and this opportunity to, to worship you and divide your word. And God, we know that while we're even in this lesson time, that my family and other families are experiencing valleys. Thank God there are people all around us every day. They're going through a valley. And God, we, we may be in that mountaintop experience right now, but let us not get so comfortable that we try to just capture that by by a, a photo a memory a monument a, a a tabernacle something just to house it god this new building lord i pray we never treat that as just a place to to capture memories but god is an ebb and flow of people coming and being saved and baptized and sent out that as they go through these roller coaster lives of mountains and valleys god that this would be a hub a place for them to come and connect with you, and be empowered by you, and be set out on their mission. And I pray that for each home here, and each family, that you strengthen each home in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys, and God bless you. Remember, Tuesday night is Ladies Bible Study, and uh, we need to um, be praying for those that are sick, and with Sandy, any way we can minister to them. And if you have time to paint, I know Mitch Ray and said that they'll be coming out for a few hours tomorrow morning to help paint. Um, uh, now that we have uh, some experienced church builders here uh, to help too, we'll, we'll uh, have them helping us too. And so it'd be a great time. Love you guys. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.